We're continuing our study in 1 Corinthians. And I, uh, I do wish that Paul would get through this part about sexual immorality, but he keeps going and I must keep going as well. Today's message is entitled, The Body is Not for Sexual Immorality, But for the Lord. And uh, several things have happened already in the service that support the main ideas that are going to be shared in this message. So it really, I think you'll see that as we get into it. But I'd like to begin by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 12 through we're going to actually go through verse nine or verse 20. But we start with 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 14. Would you like to stand with me for the reading of God's word? Paul writes, beginning in verse 12, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Now this is the passage I'm going to focus on here this morning, but in order to provide some context, because he makes reference to things here that are only understandable in reading the passage that follows, and we will be delving into that passage in my next message, my next installment in this series. And so we read, beginning in verse 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take then the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from, the, from God? And you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. And we ask God that you would open our eyes to see the wonderful truths that are revealed in this passage and others that relate to it. I ask God for your help to be faithful to your word. And I ask that we would come away from this morning equipped for the ministry of living as ambassadors for Christ, wherever you may take us, and that we may address this issue faithfully wherever 
we go and with whomever we meet. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Paul is pushing back against the immorality of the church in Corinth in various ways. But he's being very careful not to pull the Corinthians back under the law of Moses. He's very careful not to allow his persuasion in these topics to put them back under the law as a means of righteousness. That Christ is the end of the law for righteousness sake. But he is not the end of the law for wisdom's sake. And so in this passage, Paul is appealing to the Corinthians to not commit sexual immorality because it is not helpful. It is not profitable. It is not expedient. And so he addresses this issue not by saying the law of Moses says this or that, but rather by saying, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Paul is dealing with Judaizers, as we know, and he's being, being very careful not to play into their hands by bringing these young Gentiles back under the law, back into circumcision, back into all of the, uh, the kinds of laws and rituals that are continuing to be participated in as long as the temple is in Jerusalem. Many Christians, believers in Christ, are still participating in those Jewish uh, cultural activities. And so in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, he makes this statement, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Now, some scholars have thought that this verse is Paul quoting the Corinthians and then pointing out that this is wrong. That doesn't hold up to examination. He uses similar phrases in other letters. And so we can't say that this is coming from the Corinthians. This is Paul. Paul who is trying to uh, defend the gospel from the intrusions of Judaizing influence. And so he's saying, all things are lawful for me. I'm not under the law. But not all things are expedient. Not all things are helpful. Not all things are profitable. The word expedient or helpful in this verse 12 comes from the Greek word sumphero, which means literally to make a profit. Now, in that understanding, all things may be lawful, but they are not all worth the cost. They are not all worth the price that you will pay if you participate in these things, even though they may not be unlawful, they are still foolish and they are harmful in many ways. And so God will forgive sexual immorality. He's already said, such were some of you, but you've been washed, but you have been redeemed. And so sexual immorality can't be forgiven when we confess it and forsake it, but the cost for that sin in this life will be very high. 
Relationships are broken. Marriages break up. Children's hearts are wounded. Society suffers when we have a, a high level of sexual immorality in the culture in many ways. Sexual immorality is, one, is the one sin that uniquely corrupts the primary purpose for which God has created and redeemed us. Now, all sin is sin, so I don't want us to go too far with this idea, but Paul himself is, as we saw, points out that all the other sins take place outside the body. He says, but this sin is a sin against your own body. So there's something very special about sexual immorality in the harm that it does and the kind of harm that it does. And so Paul is emphasizing that. Paul is going to dismantle all of the Corinthians' arguments and provide a clear set of reasons as to why it is so unprofitable for the believer in Christ to engage in any kind of sexual behavior outside of marriage. And so that is his purpose in this passage. Now, the first thing that we need to understand is that sex is far more than just a physical urge or appetite. It is also spiritual. Now, in our culture in the United States, we are pretty much a materialistic culture. And, uh, and so there's, there's very little emphasis upon this idea of something being spiritual. But at the time that Paul is writing, and in many other cultures around the world, there is this understanding that things are spiritual as well as physical. And Paul is emphasizing this, and he states in verse 13, foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods. Now this may be something that the Corinthians themselves are saying as a justification for their sexual immorality. They're saying the stomach is made for food and foods are made for the stomach and so it's just a natural appetite. There's no immorality about it. But Paul says no. God will destroy both it and them. So the stomach and food are not in the same category as the relationship that we have in sexual behavior. There is a moral aspect to sexual behavior. The body is for food and the food is for the body, but in a similar way, they thought that the body is designed for sex and sex is, satisfies the body and so it's just a biological urge it's just an appetite, we can fulfill it, and there's no moral harm done. But in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 13b, the second part, it says, now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now, if you notice what Paul is doing here, he's taking the argument that the stomach is for food and the food is for the stomach. And now he's using that same couplet to say that the, that the Lord is for the body and the body is for the Lord. He's using this same grammatical structure. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 
What's his point? Eating is a natural function. But sex is far more than just a natural function. Sex is also a spiritual union between a man and a woman that transcends the merely physical pleasures that we receive from it. So there's something spiritual going on that we, when we have intercourse, when we are with someone in this intimate way, there's something spiritual that is taking place. And that's why Paul makes reference to why would you want to join Christ to the harlot? Why, Why would you want to drag the whole body of Christ into your spiritual activity in the process of sexual immorality? So he's making his case, and this is very important, that the body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God has not only created the appetite, he's also created the fulfillment of the appetite. Now this is one of the classic proofs of the existence of God, by the way. We all have this sense of yearning to know our maker, which points to the idea that there's a maker out there to know. And when you, when you look at all the different appetites that we have, we, we have a, a thirst, right, for, for a beverage, for water, and there's water to satisfy that thirst. We have hunger, our stomach yearns for food, and there's food out there to satisfy that hunger. So Paul is taking this argument that this is just a natural appetite, and he's saying, but this particular appetite is much more than a physical appetite. This is a yearning, and I'm gonna use a phrase here today that comes out of uh, literature elsewhere, And that is that we all yearn to know and to be known. We have this deep God-given desire to know the Lord and to be known by the Lord in the Spirit. And this points to the truth that there's a Lord out there to be known. Okay? And that he also desires to know us in this intimate way. Now, in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, and also in verse 25, we have this interesting use of the word knew. Now, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived. First she conceived Cain, and then in verse 25, she conceived uh, Abel. So we have these two sons. But the word that's used, and this is the only place where this word is used in this way, Adam knew his wife Eve. Adam knew her, and she conceived. So what are we talking about here? What kind of knowing is going on? It's the kind of knowing that makes babies, okay? 
Now, the, the reason I point this out, and I believe God intended this to be connected to what we see in Paul's writing here, is the one activity in this life that comes closest to fulfilling our yearning to, be, to know and to be known by another is found in a wholesome sexual intimacy. That's in this life at the physical level, but it's also spiritual. And in a good marriage, in a wholesome sexual intimacy, there is a satisfaction of this yearning to know someone and to be known by someone. That is what God is working toward in his salvation for us. That is why and that is how marriage can be a picture of Christ and his church. Now don't overdo this. We're not talking about sexual activity here. We're talking about a knowing and being known. Okay? A spiritual intimacy that is so deep and so strong that Paul can make reference to human marriage and say, I'm speaking of Christ and his church. Now, Spiritual intimacy with Christ offers us the only complete satisfaction for our deep yearning to know and be known. That's why we were made. That's why God created us in the first place, and that is why he redeemed us from the fall, so that we can know him, and he can know us, and we can enter into a, a future in eternity as the bride of Christ and he is our husband and there is a marriage supper of the lamb in the book of Revelation do you see how this is all kind of coming together that God's intent is that we would satisfy this deep yearning not with sexual immorality but rather in the wholesome relationship of a covenant marriage and in our intimate relationship with our Lord. And so God's practical alternative. And I, when I saw this, I, I realized what a powerful weapon this could be and should be for all of us, not just the single, okay, but all of us, that the, God's practical alternative to sexual immorality, whether you're single or you're married, is this spiritual intimacy with Jesus as our Lord. Okay, the alternative to sinning sexually is to get closer to the Lord. Does that make sense? So when you find yourself tempted to do anything that falls into the category of sexual immorality, the antidote, the, the means of rescue, is this intimacy with Jesus as our Lord. And that's why Paul says, when he... In, in Romans, as we saw last week and the week before, in Romans chapter 7, where Paul is saying, the things I don't want to do, I, I do. And the things I do, I don't want to do. So I can see there's a law at work in my members that I'm doing things I don't really want to do. So it's sin dwelling in me that's the problem. And then he says, who will set me free from this body of death? And what's his answer? I praise God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. So, the antidote to any sin 
but especially this sin, is to draw closer to Jesus. And, and that temptation will pass. That's one of the things, sometimes we, we mistakenly think that this yearning, this urge that we have sexually is just gonna be there forever. It won't, it comes and goes, okay? It comes and goes. And we need to wait for it to go. Don't yield. Don't give in. Draw close to the Lord, and he'll draw close to you. And that temptation will subside, and you will find yourself with more victory over the flesh. Now, I want to read the passage of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. In light of everything that we've seen so far this morning, I want you to hear this passage now perhaps in a little bit of a new light. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, one of, of his flesh and of his bones, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Spiritual intimacy with Christ fulfills the purpose for which we've been created and then redeemed by the sacrifice of our Lord. He didn't save you to neglect you, okay? When Bonnie and I were married four years ago, there was a point where we had a, a decision to make. I was gonna go do something and the question was whether she was going to stay home or whether she was going to come with me. And, and I remember saying to her, I didn't marry you to leave you alone. I want you to come with me. And as inconvenient as that can be sometimes, because there's always other things that you, know, you could do. But we have found that our marriage is stronger because we as much as is practical and possible, we do things together. Even little things together. And so just as with parents, you know, if, you, if you're sending your kids off to do work and chores alone, you're doing it wrong. You need to paint the same section of the fence together. And when you're married, you need to be grocery shopping together. You need to be, you know, 
going and running errands and buying plants for the terrarium shop together. And, and it's amazing how much more we know and are known by one another by doing these things together. And that is what God intends for us in relationship to Christ. We do everything we do for the Lord. And not only for the Lord, we do these things with the Lord. And he is with us. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel as our brother and sister are doing with their family. And he says, lo, I will be with you always. I will be with you always. Jesus is not sending us off to do something and then come back and tell him how it went. He's with us as we do these things. And so our yearning to know God is very real. It's very real. Notice this passage in Psalm 20, 42 and verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Now listen, deep calls to deep. Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Now the picture here, and I found this a little frustrating as I did the, my, my study, in Strong's Concordance, uh, it, he, it tells us that, that this word is an unused word. I have no idea how that could be possible since they're using it, okay? But it says it's an unused word. And it means a pipe, a spout, a conduit. And then the other use of the word is a water tunnel or a waterfall. And you'll notice that each of these is used once in the Bible, in the, in the translations. Now my point is, his reference here is to breakers or billows, waves gone over me. Where do you see those kinds of things? Where do you see waves and billows and, okay? Oceans. How often do you see waterfalls at the ocean? You don't, you don't. What you do see is water spouts, which is what the King James Version used. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Now, why am I making such a big deal out of this? Because the point of deep calling unto deep is the connection between the sky and the ocean. The sky is deep, right? The ocean is deep. So the reference to breakers and waves tells us that we're at the ocean. We're at the Sea of Galilee at the very least. We may be at the Mediterranean Sea. And, and David is referring here to this. And when you see something like this, you should run. <laughs> okay? Because this is a tornado over the ocean. 
When you see a tornado striking a body of water and sucking that water up into the air with a roaring sound, we're talking about a hundred trains going by at the same time. This is a loud experience. It's a tornado. And it's called a water spout because it's sucking water out of the ocean and up into the sky. Now, do you get a sense of deep calling unto deep here? Okay. This is not a waterfall. There's no deep unto deep in a waterfall. It's just all going one direction here. And there's, there's no depth. But a water spout. I would love to see a water spout. You can see all kinds of pictures of these in the web, by the way. Beautiful pictures. So what are we dealing with here? We're dealing with this deep yearning to know God. And from the depths of our soul to the depths of his being, to know him and to be known by him is the purpose of our lives. And that purpose is so powerful that it will guard you against sin. It will, it will protect you from sexual immorality. It will allow you to have more victory in your life as you cultivate this deep calling unto deep experience in prayer and in praise, in worship, in intercession. The most horrible thing the most horrible words you could ever hear in your lifetime is to hear the Lord Jesus say to you, I never knew you. But Lord, we did all these wonderful things for you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Do you know the Lord? That's an important question. But a more important question is, does he know you? Is deep calling unto deep in your life? Are you yearning to know him more and more? And is he responding to you as only he can so that you are living a life of walking with him through this life? He didn't save you in order to leave you behind. He will be with you always. He didn't save you in order to neglect you. And so as members of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church, we are united with Christ in his life, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. And now in our new lives as new creations in Christ. We are united to Christ. And so in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 14, we read, and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. We're gonna participate with him in this resurrection when he returns. But right now we commune with him in the spirit. Right now we walk with him and we talk with him as the, as the old hymn says. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22, 
And he put all things under his feet, that's Jesus' feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are united to Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. We are united to him and we are united to one another in Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. To be known and to know. That is the cry of our heart. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. We, when we commit sexual immorality, we join Christ, and in fact, we, enjoy, we join the entire body of Christ to our immoral partner in a way that perverts God's wonderful purpose to know and to be known by God. Now, in our next study, we're going to look at Paul's understanding of what exactly happens when we engage in sexual immorality. I'll read the passage again so you'll see where we're going. And as I said, I wish I didn't have to, to hover so long on this topic. But Paul seems to think it's pretty important, and so we'll take his, his view of the subject. But he writes, Or do you not know that he who's joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Do you see how this all comes together in that one sentence? He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does outside the body is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. You don't even own your own body. In order to go out and sin, you have to borrow your body. It's like a teenager. Can I borrow the car tonight? Where are you going? To the, to the drive-in theater. Now I'm dating myself here. But uh, you have to borrow the car to go sin, right? You've been bought with a price. You have no body of your own to sin with. You have to, you have to sneak away. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so, even though sexual immorality is, quote, lawful, now that we are no longer under the law of Moses, it is clearly not profitable. It's clearly not expedient in fulfilling God's purposes in our salvation. And so, my dear brothers and sisters, 
flee sexual immorality. And so I plead with you, examine yourselves, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified, unless you fail that test. So here's what I'd ask you to do. Look closely at yourself to see if Christ is truly in you by faith through the Holy Spirit. Look for evidence of grace in your own life. Evidence that God is working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Repent of any sins you are aware of, not just sexual immorality, but any, anything that you know is displeasing to God. Take it to God, call it what he calls it, and he'll provide for it what he's provided for it, and that is his blood for your sin. Don't call it anything other than sin because Jesus paid for your sins, not your mistakes. Obey Paul's command to flee sexual immorality. Just obey it. Trust God that he knows more about this than you do. You will seriously regret indulging in any kind of sexual immorality. It's unprofitable. That's an understatement. Let the Holy Spirit draw you into a deep love for God. Let deep call unto deep for you to know and to be known by the one who has created you and now has redeemed you by his own blood. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, be glorified in our lives. I pray you would use this study as a, as a foundation for walking in holiness before you, to pursue holiness. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, allow it to be useful in our counsel to our children, to our friends and family and neighbors, Lord, that we would be able to bring Paul's case to bear in the lives of those who do not understand the seriousness of this area of sin. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen.